We are back for another episode, and I am just so excited today because an area that I commonly talk with parents about is sleep. Do you have a kiddo that struggles with sleep? Sleep is such a foundational piece to brain development. We know so much happens in terms of children's learning and growth and all of that during the sleep period. It's also really essential to your mental health as a parent. I think this is one area that sometimes we forget to talk about. But if your child isn't sleeping, you're not sleeping either. And that absolutely will take a toll on your mental health and how you can function throughout the day. And the reality is that doing a lot of diagnostic evaluations and working one-on-one -on -one with families, I hear all the time about sleep. Many autistic children don't have regulated sleep. So if you're in that boat, just know you're not alone. But what we're going to dive into today is some of the reasoning behind sleep difficulties. We're also going to talk about tips and tricks to tackle sleep and knowing when support is needed. So I have brought in an expert in this area, and I'm just so excited. So we will be talking with Courtney Zenz today. She initially started in the corporate world. She had a master's in marketing. And then when she went on her own maternity leave, she began to struggle. And it was difficult as her husband transitioned back to work to be able to keep up with the demands of everything. And she openly shares that she had postpartum anxiety and postpartum depression, which I know a lot of you mamas can relate to out there. And so she started to realize that there's got to be a different way. Started doing her research, ended up becoming a certified sleep coach and a postpartum doula. And so we're going to dive in. We're going to hear from her today about her background, and she is going to provide amazing, amazing education. I've actually already had the opportunity to have multiple conversations with her and just absolutely love the approach that she focuses on. I'm Dr. Tay, a licensed child psychologist and parental mindset coach specializing in autism. I have supported hundreds of autistic children and their families and have been in the autism field for over a decade. I'm the host of Evolve, the podcast where we have real conversations that are designed for autism parents just like you. Each week, we will discuss topics that directly impact your life, from providing psychoeducation about autism and neurodiversity to talking about your personal growth, well-being, and evolution as a parent, we dive into it all. Just keep in mind, nothing shared on this podcast is clinical advice, and you should consult with a medical or mental health provider if you need support. Now, let's get to talking to Courtney all about sleep. Courtney, welcome. I'm so glad to have you here today. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Tay. I am so excited to be here and share all things sleep with your lovely listeners. Awesome. Awesome. So I gave a brief introduction, but give us a little bit more of the background of that transition into the sleep world and some of your training and how you built your own business around this. Yeah, absolutely. So I have been working with families as a sleep coach for about eight years. My company is called Tiny Transitions, and it was really meant to be named that intentionally because there are so many transitions, albeit some big some tiny that we make as parents. And I was a type A corporate climb in the ladder executive and loved every minute of it. Got pregnant, was super excited, came home on maternity leave and was basically knocked down pretty hard. I struggled with postpartum anxiety and depression at the time. Didn't realize it. My girlfriend, Lindsay, who was my dearest confidant during that time was like, you should probably talk to someone. And I yeah. did have her to talk to, but I didn't have anyone else. And 
I really felt like a failure. In my life, I had always worked really hard. I worked hard in education, at school, building my business, about building my career. But then I became a parent and I was like, I read all the books, like I got this. And when I left, I had a team of 40. I was doing really great things. And I was on maturity leave with my laptop. I'm like, I'm going to get work done every day. And I felt lost and alone. We left the hospital at two days and they're like, is your baby strapped in? Bye. And I'm like, I got milk shooting out of everywhere. Everything is bleeding. I'm wearing an ice diaper. I don't know what the heck is going on. And I remember the first night I was home with my son at two in the morning, I was sobbing in the living room, holding him, just nursed him. And he was screaming. And I'm like, what do you want, man? Like, what do you want? He was two days, three days old. My husband's sleeping comfortably upstairs. And it was really just in that moment where I was like, why did we do this? Why did we do this? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. And it was from that moment where I was like, how are we so ill-prepared as parents? And it really just sent me down this like spiral of trying to figure out how to be a good parent, right? I felt like I was being pulled in a million directions. I didn't know what I was doing. I was chronically sleep deprived. I'm like beating myself over trying to nurse perfectly and pump perfectly and be the perfect wife and have a clean house when husband came home with this said baby who's napped well all day. And I was failing in all of it, right? And so it was it was a very eye-opening experience. So if you're in that position now, like I'm sending any of you listeners the empathy and grace that you need because it's hard, right? And and around eight weeks, I was at my breaking point and we were driving to the beach. I still remember and my husband told me to get a whiteboard. I, at the time, wanted to punch him in the face, but he's like, you need to get a whiteboard and tell me how I can help you, right? And you need to put down like, oh, do laundry, clean the bathroom, scoop dog poop, like whatever it is. He's like, Courtney, I don't know how to help you because you're nursing. You're up all night. You're home with the kid. Like you're doing all the things and I come home and I don't know what to do, Right. And so that was the first transformation. I got the biggest whiteboard ever because I was super passive aggressive. I'm like, you think a whiteboard can solve this? <laughs> but I got the biggest whiteboard ever. And it was amazing. I was like, I put the whiteboard up and he would come home and go, okay, I got to do the things. And it was in that moment around eight weeks where I'm like, okay, what can I control? Right. I think as parents and as a type A person previously, I like to have things organized. I like to be in control. And I'm like, what in this situation can I control? And then how do I get the steps there? And it was then I started realizing like every day can't be this much of a dumpster fire. And one of our sleep packages now called the dumpster fire because I felt like I was living it every day. And I started to just get into the research and then study the science and then learn the sleep. And then along came that with like still balancing having a nursing relationship, which I really wanted to try to make that year mark of breastfeeding. And at the time, I will say that was part of in my own head the stigma that like, you got to get to 12 months. And I was like driving myself crazy. I mean, I had the whole Pennsylvania Turnpike saw my boobs at some point because I was pumping everywhere to make sure I had milk to some, like, okay, you can give your kid a bottle of formula. But in my mental state at the time, it was like, no, breast is best, formula, no. And now it's like, here you go. Like, good job, Max, you're fed. And so I think I was, I had to get out of my own way. But then at the same time, it took me down this crazy new journey to becoming a sleep coach because I just saw this gap with parents who felt like I did. I never want somebody to feel that way again. And that's where Tiny Transitions was born. It was kind of born out of postpartum anxiety, exhaustion, overwhelm, a lack of knowledge and support for new parents, and just wanting to be impactful. I spent 20 minutes on the phone with a sleep coach. And I'd actually just got off the phone with her now because she does some business coaching with me that I mentor other sleep consultants. And we were joking about it because she'd been in the business a long time. And it was just one of those, like, I got off the phone with her and she's like, you're doing everything actually really well that you've learned. 
here's a couple tweaks. But I got off the phone. Dr. Tain felt so empowered. Like I didn't even get anything other than validation. Yeah. Right. Accountability. Like, what am I doing? So that was long winded intro. But, you know, that was where I kind of hit my rock bottom as a parent going, what am I trying to do, man? I got to figure this out. And then having a company now designed to like support and coach families, because I think this space is so misunderstood. Oh, it absolutely is. And I'm excited to dive into that. But first, I want to thank you. I mean, I knew you were very real and open and vulnerable, but just the willingness and openness to share. First off, thank you so much for that, because I know there's mamas on here right now that need to hear that exact message. And knowing that you're not alone in this, and our hope is to be able to give you some tangible tips today. I do think autism a lot of times adds this additional layer. In general, you're not sent home with a manual on how your kid works, right? And then when autism comes into the picture, a lot of times too, then the things that you're learning from other parents, you're taking in, all of a sudden feel like they're not applying. And sometimes this process can feel extended for parents of autistic children, especially if their kids aren't sleeping. But yeah, thank you so much because that is so real and having conversations with my friends. You know, I don't have kids yet, but that's the exact stuff they say. And we need to be talking about this stuff more in public spaces so that if someone doesn't have that community, they don't feel so alone. So thank you so much for that. You're welcome. I do want to kind of give this caveat at the start of the episode. You primarily focus on younger kids. So a lot of what we're going to be referencing today is focused on younger kids. But if you have an older autistic child, I'm going to encourage you to keep listening because a lot of times we see the patterns repeating. So let's go ahead and dive into that is what are some of the reasons that you see sleep difficulties? Like some of those like main things that keep coming up over and over again. I think to your point, you look at it from an age standpoint, right? I want to be very clear on what work I do. Okay. so. There are three ways in which I would sort of provide a cutout of where someone is in their sleep journey. As a new parent, you're trying to figure out how to get your child to sleep and survive. They're up every two hours eating. You're trying to balance their needs and your needs. So when I work with families of a newborn, it is about sleep shaping. It's about education. It's about, hey, did you know a newborn should only be awake 45 to 60 minutes? before they get overtired. And if they get overtired, it causes this, which then causes this, which then causes this, right? So as newborns, we refer to it as sleep shaping. People believe the work that I do is like teach your kid to sit in their crib and cry it out or stick your kid in their bedroom and they'll figure it out. That's not even remotely close to what we do. Sleep is science-based, right? Like your body's born with the ability to do it. And then as parents, it's how we teach our children to execute the task. Everybody has the ability to fall asleep But a lot of times as parents, we can fall into these little traps of like, well, they just kind of started falling asleep nursing as a newborn, but then they kept doing it for nine months. So as newborns, which kind of those first 12 weeks, you can't do anything wrong, but you can do a ton where you're starting to build good hygiene. So you never have to sleep train. Then you get into this area of infancy where you're managing developmental leaps. As parents right now, you're trying to figure out, are my kids reaching their milestones? Are they growing properly? Is there a failure to thrive situation and why? I deal with this sometimes. And I had a client once who told me, she never told me when we were starting, but she was one phone call away from her kid being diagnosed as failure to thrive and getting a feeding tube. 
And we worked together for three weeks. And after three weeks, she's like, I didn't tell you this because I didn't want it to sway the work that we did, but you have transformed our entire life. My child, I physically see growing. And it was because they were so chronically sleep deprived that they weren't eating, which was then causing the failure to thrive. And so it is, it is about education. In infancy, we're trying to figure out this balance of like, does your child have the skill of independent sleep or have they built a reliance on something? And then what are all these other milestones that they should be hitting? And are they hitting those, right? As toddlers, you're kind of teetering on sleep training, as people call it, which I hate that word, but that's the jargon. You're teetering with a toddler on like sleep training or behavior modification. Now, as a parent with a child who has autism, you're trying to figure out, are they not sleeping because there's something we need to look at from a clinical standpoint, or are they not sleeping because they prefer to get in bed with me? And as you get older, you start to have other impacts, hormone development. In your teens, your body clock changes. So both teens and adults have not only, from an autism standpoint, the inability sometimes to create the proper amount of melatonin, which is the hormone that prepares your body to sleep, but your body clock physically shifts for that period. It's called the adolescent health paradox. And so during that time, you're incapable of going to bed because there's a delayed release in melatonin. It's for a very short number of years. And then kind of around 18, things go back to your traditional body clock you carry with you through the rest of your life. But wow, there's so much that happens at each phase. So it's like breaking down for the age, what's going on. And then is there something from a special needs standpoint that we have to look at that's going on that we can identify. And I help families to kind of navigate that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love, thank you for bringing in like kind of older children into this too, in case we have a parent listening today. And I think it'd be helpful for a lot of our conversation, maybe to focus more on that, that more toddler stage, because probably that and older is a lot of the listeners. Just keep mm-hmm. in mind that if you need help in the newborn and infancy stage, reach out to Courtney, connect with her. She also has her own podcast as well, where she provides tons of education. So that might be a go-to resource for you. Yeah. One piece I'll add to this from a clinical perspective too, that I tend to get presenting to me if we're talking specifically about sleep is anxiety then coming into the picture where autism and anxiety can highly co-occur and we can see things like separation anxiety and OCD really interrupting sleep or even just like generalized worry where the child is up and worrying as well. So that, you know, it you'll kind of navigate and figure out what the cause and you might know not know as a parent initially what the cause is of the sleep issues. But this is where if you're really struggling starting to consult someone and then as providers and as educators, we're good at referring. If someone is like, we really need the intense support on sleeping, I have a basis in sleep, but I have no problem referring out and being like, this is where you go. So Courtney, let's talk about now like more in, like I said, that toddler period, but just broadly, what are some common patterns you see of families presenting to you of the reasons that kids aren't sleeping? And you started to reference this, but I'd love to dive into it a little more. Yeah, absolutely. So I think in the toddler, kind of younger school age, toddler age, first is children love routine and consistency, right? They like to know what is coming. They like to understand the expectation because it reduces anxiety because they have an understanding of what that traditional 
bedtime routine looks like, what the transition from one activity to the next is. And a lot of times when we work with this age, and there's a, a woman on my team, her name is Raylene Sexton. She works specifically with children who have autism, but also other special needs. And it's such an interesting kind of education for parents. We're very big on the education and it starts with the daytime. What's happening? Tell me about how your child transitions. Tell me about their diet. Tell me about their patterns. Tell me about some of the diagnoses so that we can start to better understand uniquely for that person. Transition. These little penguin clocks. I'm a very big person who uses these types of things to say, hey, when this goes off, it's going to be then time to move upstairs and let's all pretend we're a bird and fly up the stairs to take a bath. A lot of times anxiety presents itself around bedtime because children understand that they are then going to be alone for the next eight to 10 hours. They might not want to be alone and for a variety of different reasons. So creating not only routine and consistency, which minimizes anxiety, but also trying to do things during that bedtime routine that will help in an OCD situation or in a high anxiety situation, whether it's at bedtime or in the middle of the night. There's two products that I love that I brought with me actually from my own kids' rooms that we use every single night that create just a beautiful sense of calm. The first I was talking to Dr. Tay about when she was on my podcast, which is going to be going live next week. It's called the Kids Sleep Show. So she'll be on next Wednesday. What, um, when this episode airs, probably it will be already aired. So probably, this yeah. is called Mizenimal. And this animal I found out of my own family's challenges. And it has been the number one product that I recommend for toddlers and school-age kids, for teenagers. I have one for myself as an adult. The founder's name is Anna McSelka. She's an amazing human. And I found this when I was going through stomach cancer. I had my stomach removed. I had a double mastectomy. And I caught my child at the time who was four sleeping on the stairs because he was afraid he couldn't hear me and that mommy was going to die. And it was a very vulnerable time in our life. And I found this product because I didn't want devices. I'm big on no devices. Blue light is a terrible crutch, but one that so many parents use because they're listening to an app. They're using it to meditate. They're scrolling through social, right? This is a device-free little turtle that has nine meditations on it. And every night at bedtime, you can hit the button to turn on. It's very simple to use. And then we fall asleep together as a family. So the sleep meditation, sometimes there's different ones on here, but this started as routine for us. And I eat my own dog food, right? And so I started to realize how much transformation this product had on our house. And I use it a lot with the toddler clients now because it creates a sense of routine. You get your pajamas on, you brush your teeth, you lay down. And I used to lay, my son has a bunk bed with a full bed and then a trundle bed. And my daughter likes to sleep in his room on the trundle bed. And then my son sleeps on his. And then my nephew sleeps on the top when he comes to visit. But I would lay next to my son and we would all do the meditation together. It was a very nice bonding time for us. Sometimes I would fall asleep and I'm like, why don't you wake me up? But that consistency of doing that activity helped my kids to learn to use their breath in a very basic way. The device is made for kids, but it's not an adult meditation that you're trying to use for kids. It's a product designed for kids. And it just helped my kids at the age of two and four to learn how to use their breath. And it was just such a cool, powerful part of our process. And every night, even still, my daughter is now six. My son is eight. And last night she's like, dad, can you find my turtle? Like it gets shoveled under something. But like using things that can help minimize that anxiety in the moment. A lot of times we talk about fear, nightlights. I love Himalayan sea salt lamps. They're supposed to bring some good juju, but they also have a dimmer on them. 
So if your kids go to bed with it a little brighter, it's still pink soft light, which is not blue light. Great. And when my kids fall asleep, I just turn it down a little bit. Sometimes it's helping them to feel secure. And as a parent, we might have other kids. So we can't always be in there the whole bedtime. So you can put this on and then you can warm this little guy up in the microwave. It's called a warming. They're weighted animals. They have a million. We've got every animal in the zoo. I got the elephant because it's tiny transition. This is my logo. But this was the first one, Lucy. But you could put it in the microwave for a minute and it creates heat, which is comforting. It's weighted. So it, it provides that aspect of it from a weight standpoint. And then it smells good. It has a little bit of lavender. I drop a little extra on there. And it's just, this is like a comfort product for a toddler who might feel a little nervous. So those are just a couple things like during the bedtime routine, ways in which you try to create a sense of calm, given the unique situation. I mean, kids are scared of the dark. There's different ways to manage that. But a lot of times it manifests as anxiety or fear or just that, to your point, that like OCD of like this routine has, I have to do the same thing every night during that bedtime routine. Yeah. And it is interesting from a anxiety standpoint, in terms of clinical anxiety, we often, and I know we talked about this, like in terms of nighttime behavior parallels daytime behavior, but your child can have anxiety and worry and all of that about things related to bedtime and not have clinically significant anxiety because usually clinical significant anxiety is going to extend way beyond bedtime. I love these. I totally agree that predictability brings down some of the anxiety. And it's also taking me back to episode 12. We had Molly Johnson, the autism consultant on to talk about visual schedules. And so one thing too for your autistic child that could be so beneficial is as you're developing this routine, having a visual schedule so they really know what's coming up and they can see it. And we know that autistic children tend to be very strong visual processors. So that could be one additional thing I'd add to this amazing kind of nighttime routine. And it sounds like this is a place you would start is like getting a nighttime routine down. Is that like where you'd recommend parents that are struggling right now to begin? Yeah, absolutely. And I will tell you, there are reward charts, which I'll make sure you have the links out for them. We have a massive library of freebies and there's a whole thing of like seven different reward charts for kids at this age. Some are visual, some are customizable. So I'll make sure you have all of those materials because we have a massive arsenal of training. Start there. But I want to say actually dialing it back a little bit, start with making sure your kid's not overtired. It is the number one thing parents miss. And it is the number one thing in newborns and in infants and in toddlers and school age kids is overtired because you have to understand your brain is hormones and your circadian rhythm is an ebb and flow of those hormones. And so if there's a cog in the wheel somewhere that's broken, you end up with hormone stew and it creates the inability to sleep well. Overtired creates your brain to think you're trying to stay awake and then it triggers stimulant hormones. And then when you try to have your kid go to bed and they're basically just flooded with adrenaline and cortisol, it's not conducive to going to bed, right? And so if you try as best you can is to create this ebb and flow and, and understand for your child's age what their sleep needs are, which again, for neurotypical and children with autism, it could be different, right? Your ability to produce melatonin could be different. There are studies and research that talk about that, especially from an autistic standpoint, that your body might not make enough. And melatonin is 
it's not, it does not help you to sleep. It's not a sleep aid. It's the hormone that prepares your body to sleep. But your body, if it's not creating the right hormones, can be off balance and it can cause these sleep issues outside of a routine or consistency. Like you have to look internal too, which is part of what we dive into. But I would say avoiding overtired is like the number one. Like, don't do that. Like, don't have a kid that's overtired. Don't push them too hard. And, and, paying attention to those cues. A lot of times people are like, oh, my son was yawning. So I put him down for a nap. And I'm like, you missed the window. When you see the visual cues, you've almost always missed the window already. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. Yeah. And the overtired, like what a simple modification that can have so much impact. So let's just briefly go here. I mean, we could do an entire episode on this and we're not providing medical advice here, but let's talk about like sleep supplements and sleep aids. Where does that usually come into the mix? Where do you suggest, does a parent start with melatonin? Do you want them to often start with the behavioral side of things? Let's just kind of touch on that a little bit. I think it starts with an assessment period, typically for about 24 hours. Okay. Because I do find there is a heavy correlation between daytime behavior and then what is happening at bedtime. And I'll give you an example. Is your child really good for dad, but not for mom? Is your child really good for the nanny, but not for you? So growing up, my mom had a sign that said having children is like being pecked to death by a chicken. And I didn't understand it at the time. I now do. And I have chickens in the backyard in the garden, so I hear them out there, which is <laughs> really always fun. But it is trying to balance, like, is this a behavior, right? Or is there something else going on? So I think if you spend 24 hours you can sort of assess. And sometimes it's between just two parents. My daughter is, I would say, the tougher of the two. And sometimes as a parent and as a sleep professional, I'd lay in bed at night with my husband. like, what am I doing wrong? He goes, you care too much, Courtney. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm just trying to do the thing. He's like, you know what, Courtney? You care too much and she knows it. And she knows how to manipulate you. So me, if you don't like the cherry popsicle, I don't care. Throw it in the trash. You, you're like, oh, I'll get you grape. And it's such a small thing. And I'm like, well, it's just getting her the great popsicle. Like, dude, if I don't like cherry, I'm pissed I got to eat cherry too. And he's like, no, you don't get a choice. And so sometimes it takes even my husband like checking me because I'm trying to do all the things. But you have to look and assess going always like this or is it situational? That's your first clue into whether it is something else that could be going on, like a deficiency in melatonin, for example, right? Or is it that, well, when the dad's here, you're doing good. When mom's here, it's like, no, they freak out and you have to sit in there for two hours at bedtime. And so that tells me it's more behavioral. I worked with a nonverbal autistic little girl who was three and a half and she came from a foster home. She was addicted when she was born without getting into too many of those details. But there was a lot of backstory to her and she was nonverbal about three, three and a half. And every night she would wake up out of her bed and she would walk into the two parents' rooms who adopted her and would tap and go, can I come in? Right? In her motions. And I'm like, she can get out of bed and open the door and navigate down the hallway and tap, tap, tap and want to climb into your bed. That tells me there's more behavior there. And we work together on avoiding overtired. Turns out she was just spent by the end of the day. And her naps weren't great because we're trying to force everything. So it's like we had to start with backing things up a bit and then 
in about three weeks, we transformed this little girl's sleep and we did end up having to supplement with melatonin. They had gotten some tests done and worked with the pediatrician to understand melatonin is touchy, right? It is a hormone and it is the hormone that prepares your body to sleep. It's also illegal in like half the world. I mean, to buy over the counter. So really? wow. it's, it's understanding like what you're taking. Okay. Here in America, like I could go to Target and it's like Tic Tacs. Like, oh, you want this one, you want that one, you want the gummy one, you want the liquid, you want the adult kid, the natural, the better than natural, you know. And it's like, you got to know what you're messing with there. Like, you got to talk to a doctor and understand what your child's gaffer need might be. Because sometimes it does make, and sometimes your body is not producing the right amount to set you up with enough sleep pressure. Sometimes it's behavioral. So I think as a parent, it's kind of taking a step back and going, all right, like, are you kind of good sometimes? And then other times you're not, or is it truly that like, there is a deficiency here where you're laying in bed for two hours every night, whether I'm in there or not, and you just can't seem to fall asleep. Right. Yeah. 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 And I, I couldn't agree more, like starting with an assessment. And I do really think that, yes, there can be biological deficiencies. We know this from research. And we also know that behavioral support still can really help in those situations. And then sometimes that adjunctive aspect of melatonin too, because sometimes too, even if the cause quote unquote is melatonin deficiency, then routines get established around that. Behaviors get established around that. And so this is where I love the idea of really understanding the function of the behavior, the behavior being sleep and going from there. So let's kind of pivot gears a little bit and now talk about quote unquote sleep training. You started to mention it's become synonymous with cry it out. It absolutely is not. I always say that's one method of sleep training. There's so many different methods, but let's talk about someone is to work with a sleep coach or sleep consultant, whether that's you or someone else, what's going to happen? And also, how do you know when it's time to actually seek out those services? Yeah, absolutely. I don't think there's a bad time because I'll tell you why. If you're working with a reputable company and you talk to them and you really don't need a coach, you need a tweak of something like overtired, as a practitioner and professional, I'm going to tell you that. And if what I solve on the phone solves your issue, you shouldn't have hired. Okay. This space is a very finicky one. And I had to do some explaining of this the other day for an engagement with a larger formula company, actually, because they were asking for a sleep consultant, but the way they were asking for a credential, I was like, they don't understand the space either. And so I didn't when I got into this, right? And there is clinical sleep doctors, right? Sleep medicine, sleep apnea. You need to see a sleep specialist. There is a doctor. They go to med school and they're a doctor around sleep. Okay. What sleep consulting is, is think of it as a parenting coach, but we're also dealing with newborns, infants, toddlers, school age, adult. Like we have a certification, but it is a very finicky space. There is no governing regulation around sleep, which I think is terrible because you're dealing with children. So you could Google sleep coach near me and you could get any Tom, Dick or Harry that graduated yesterday and you have no idea who you're dealing with and there's nobody regulating it. There's nobody looking at it. We are basically a whole different industry, whereas like to become an IBCLC, there's like board certified tests and all this different stuff, right? 
to become a sleep coach, like my husband's a CPA. He's the CFO of a lumber company. He could decide tomorrow that he's a certified sleep coach, which is a scary thing, frankly. And it's just because it's not clinical. A lot of times we're looking at other things. It is not regulated. And so there's discussions around that. But I studied and became a certified sleep coach through, at the time, one of the organizations that did it. Right now, everybody and their mom could slap the term certified on because what I found out later was that it's not regulated. So anybody can use the term certified because you're just certifying in whatever method you teach. I want people to understand sleep training is Googleable, right? Like you could go out and Google, what are the methods to sleep training? Anybody could do that today. You will still fail. Why? Because it's a jigsaw puzzle. That's where we come in as professionals to go, okay, you're missing this part of the puzzle and you're never going to get to success because it's maybe 40% the method. And then the other 60 are all these other variables. And I think that's the part people misunderstand. They're like, I can't believe you teach newborns to cry it out. I'm like, that is the last thing I do. So please don't misunderstand the work I'm doing. And I think with all children at all ages, they assume you're just going to come in and teach some cry it out method. And you're going to tell them to stick their kid in the room and let them freak out. Frankly, that's what most pediatricians tell parents to do. And this just that and does it work? Well, sure. Is it a lot of tears? Yeah. And it's not necessary, right? I think it's looking at the whole family and going, all right, what are your goals? What are what's presenting? How do you want to get there? And then let's work together to do that in a customized and unique way. Some clients come to me and they're just dealing with like a short nap issue. So we have these little mini sessions. They're 30 minutes. We get on the phone. You tell me what's going on. And I tell you how to fix it. And then I have clients, which is a majority that want the private coaching over the course of three weeks with myself. I've got a 10 team members that all do sleep coaching as well, but it's not just the method. And I think that's the part people misunderstand. And you have to be real careful because anybody and their mom can decide tomorrow they're like a sleep coach, right? And and it, it's just such a, it's a finicky space. Like I've gone back to school for my infant mental health certification. I've got two different pending certifications now. I got my CLC designation. I went back to become a donor postpartum doula. Like I'm trying to become a balanced practitioner in a space that's not clinical. Like we're dealing with behavior in many cases or in a lack of education on a parent's part. So that's my job is to come in and educate families and to support them through these transitions with unique goals that they have. Yeah, I love that. And a little background, actually, because autism and sleep often co-occur. I knew I wanted to do an episode on this, on sleep. But I also knew I I wasn't just going to have any sleep consultant on this podcast. And actually, Courtney reached out to me. She found me on LinkedIn. And I was like, yeah, let's do kind of just like a chat, get to know each other. Going into that, I'm like, I'll learn from you and maybe we can collaborate together. But for me to invite someone on my podcast, I know that there is methodology and it's not just like, okay, yeah, I think I know what I'm doing. I'm going to go try to wing this. Love the in-depth education you were going through, the experience that you have, and this continual drive to keep learning. I think that is so, so important. And the reality is we're talking about the sleep space, but just want to make this connection as well as the entire coaching industry is unregulated. And so many people will call themselves a coach in different ways. And 
everything Courtney just said about the sleep space, I'd also encourage you to think about the coaching industry. And I say this as a coach myself, as a psychologist and a coach and all of that. And I think one of the biggest points that I want to emphasize here that I really, really admire, Courtney, with you is you make a clear differentiation that this is not clinical. And that there are people that do the clinical side of things, but that you also have so much knowledge. And sometimes you don't need a clinical provider in order to help you sort things out. So, so, so awesome. So what I'd love before we start to wrap this up, just give us really quickly, like kind of rattle a few examples off of working with families, like some small tweaks you made just so people can like really step into this world and understand and visualize what that transformation looks like. I think the first is that overtired, right? That's the number one issue. So look at your kid's age and understand, is your bedtime right? Is your wake up time? Are they getting the total sleep needs according to the American Academy of Pediatrics or the American Academy of Sleep Medicine, right? There's a chart on my website. You'll have all the links to it. It's right on that freebie page with like a bazillion other resources, but making sure they're not overtired. Second thing is going to be creating that routine and consistency, but also affirming empowerment. I want kids who are working together to have choices. This isn't just like we're dictators right now. Go upstairs, brush your teeth, take a bath, put your pajamas on, pick a book, get in bed, lay down. And all you're doing is dictate, right? Nobody wants to be dictated to that, especially as a toddler, they want to have choices in the matter. They want to feel empowered and independent and build confidence in your kids. And that's part of the way we approach the coaching aspect differently. So it's like, give your kids options, but it's not a free-for-all. Like there has to be boundaries. And I think we as parents struggle with boundaries. And I'll say it specifically too with boundaries and a child who might have an autism diagnosis, because I think there's a sense of guilt there somewhere. And so as parents, we're trying to to do all these things and give 120% of ourselves. Boundaries kids love, man. They love them. And so it's trying to figure out what your child is seeking, okay, and balance it around a boundary. Be willing to do a thing, but not all the things. And so those charts are very helpful. Being that, that I'm willing to do X, but not Y, or would you like this book or this book? I want that book. The choices are these, or we don't have to read. Because then you're empowering them to make the choice, but you're also containing it within a boundary. You know, give yourself grace. I mean, in the middle of the night, it can be hard. At two in the morning, it's like, just get in my bed or I'll just get in your bed or we'll just do the thing. I'm a big safe sleep person. And I'm also a big believer in like, we all need quality sleep too. So it's important. My daughter always jokes like, hey, when we go away, they're allowed each one night. Like if it's just us or my husband goes away for something, they have a sleepover. We've had like two or three in our life. I hate them now because my daughter kicks me a hundred times a night. I'm like, this is not, this is not okay. And so we joke and now I'm like, we're going to pause on the sleepovers for a bit because mommy needs her sleep too. But as parents, it's just give yourself some grace to know that it's okay to reach out to a professional and go, do I need a coach? Should I hire you? Is this a clinical thing? And if it's not something that's a behavior or that's something that's coachable around like what's happening in the environment, believe me, we've got a whole list of from a clinical standpoint. And sometimes it's a little bit of both. Like we work alongside with different practitioners and pediatricians to make sure that what we're setting up for your child makes sense. It should be customized for each family because there's no two kids that are the same. And I think that's the stigma that sleep coaching gets. It's like, ah, one size fits all. What method do you teach? I'm like, why do you even ask that question? (laughs) Because like no consultant's going to get on the phone and go, I teach cried out. Right. 
And it's not a simple answer. It's literally like, we got to see what's going on under the covers and then figure out what the best approach is going to be, what your parenting style is, what's your living situation. Where Are you in New York City or are you in Piedmont, North Dakota? Because your environment probably looks different too. Yeah, yeah, such a good point. Yeah. And I think here's the thing. You might be able to figure this out on your own, but I think working with someone like Courtney and her team can expedite the process. But this is also a really challenging area because in the middle of the night, like you're not going to have emotion regulation. And also, if you're not sleeping, you're not going to have as good of emotion regulation. So having someone to support you through that process, I absolutely love that idea. And I want to emphasize this. Yes, I'm promoting Courtney's business because, again, I feel like I have really made sure that it's in agreement, at least what I preach on this podcast. And y'all are listening to this podcast and resonating with my methods in some ways. And I want people in alignment with that. But I also really love that she has a sleep consultant who I believe was in the early intervention space first, right? And now really specializes in special needs and in particular in autism. Yeah. And she is fabulous. She's actually, as we speak, doing a training and mentorship with someone to further her education in the area because it's just, I'm a big proponent on education changes. We can always know better and do better. And it's an evolving space and there's so many different components to it, even from just an autism standpoint outside of special needs. And so Raylene on my team is amazing and is so versed and knowledgeable specifically in the space of autism. And I've worked with families all ages for eight years and I've got a beautiful team. And it's just, we try to match you with the right person based on what you're looking for. Catherine does the twins and Angela loves the toddlers and Aaron loves the newborns and Rosie loves all of them and has built great, uh, great partners. It's like, there's an amazing team. Liz is my Spanish girl. Chris is the first male sleep coach in the country. Like I have a very specific team of people that bring all unique backgrounds. Kylie is down in Alabama, loves doing overnights. In-home, overnight, she'll support you every step of the way. So I, I intentionally hire people on my team who bring such balance and grace to the team with different backgrounds, right? Awesome. So it's important to just find the right, if it's not tiny transitions, which is fine, like I'm not for everybody, find a coach that you do your research on, okay? How long have you been doing this? How, what makes you different and just do your research to understand because it is unregulated and you're in an area where it's like, it's just touchy. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're going to link things in the show notes for sure and make sure people have resources. And I know you referenced like a few free resources, all of that. But if someone is interested in learning more about you, connecting with you, learning about your services, how can they go about that? Yeah. So a variety of ways we try to make it easy. If you have a direct question, you're listening and you're like, I just want to talk to somebody right on our website, tinytransitions.com. You can book a consult with me or any of the members of my team. You can shoot me an email, info at tinytransitions, and I'll get you directed to the right place too. I'm very involved in this business day to day. You're going to talk to me. You'll get, I'll get that email. Social media, you can find us on LinkedIn or Instagram at tinytransitions. We really are here to help you. Start with the website. There's a little button right up there that takes you to the podcast, the blogs, and to all the freebies. We have the largest arsenal of freebies in the entire sleep coaching space. And that's continuing to grow and evolve every day based on client asks, because I really want people to feel supported. We work with families in English, but we also have a Spanish coach too, which is great. So we're trying to serve and support those families just wherever you could need it. And it's really 
lovely to wake up every day and to go to bed feeling such joy, helping families. I love it. Well, thank you so, so much for being on today, sharing your heart, but also sharing your knowledge with us. I know parents are going to take this episode. And I think the biggest piece I think that's resonating with me too is one, there are people out there that can help you with this. And two, do your research. So you really find someone who is reputable so that you get the best experience as a parent. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're ever not sure, just set up a call. There's no obligation. We'll just chat with you. Like what's going on and can we help you? So yeah, start there. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you. That's a wrap for this week's episode of Evolve with Dr. Tay. Thank you for listening. If you find yourself listening to these episodes and finding value, come join the Evolve Facebook group. Each week I record podcast episodes live in that community and host a Q&A after each episode. You get access to engage with me, plus you can connect with other like-minded autism parents. It is a community designed for you to feel seen, heard, and supported as a parent of an autistic child and introduces you to my whole family approach. The group is linked in the show notes. I will be back next week with another real conversation about all things autism and your family life. Be sure to hit the plus or follow button in the podcast platform that you are listening to right now. This will notify you when the next episode is live. Catch you all later.